I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode 334. Today in the show, we are talking all things shed hunting, including when the best time to shed hunt is, how to become a more efficient shed hunter, and much, much more. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today on the show, we are talking shed hunting. And by that, uh, of course, I mean the search for deer antlers. You know, it's early February as we speak, and that means there are a lot of antlers on the ground or, or at least just about to be. So I want to devote this episode to getting you ready to hit the woods, find some of that white gold, pick up some of that bone. Now, this is going to be a little bit different episode than usual, though. Because I, I've, I've admittedly had a little bit different week than usual, I think would be fair to say. So rather than having one main guest interview, we're going to first open things up with a little chit-chat with my buddy Furter about some of our favorite shed hunting memories and a few other odds and ends. Uh, then we're going to share, or I'm going to share, some of my very best shed hunting advice of my own. And then finally, we're going to go back into the archives and hear from some of our past guests over the last six years with their absolute best shed hunting tips and tactics. So this one's just going to be jam-packed with ideas and insights to help you over the next month or two to just pile up those antlers. But first, I've got to explain why my week's been a little bit different than usual. Um, Fertz, you know why, right? I know why. <laughs> so, so you remember this uh, this shed hunting or this this little walk that turned into a shed hunting trip last week? Uh, if anyone listened to last week's podcast, you heard that story. Josh, you know that story. Um, mm-hmm. Found trans antlers while taking my wife and son for a walk because my wife was very, very, very pregnant, very uncomfortable, just wanting for this baby to arrive. Well, we did that walk. I found those antlers. And then like a day and a half later, uh, Kylie had a doctor's appointment. 
And so we went to the doctor's appointment and we'd been kind of in baby mode ever since the Sunday prior because she described like feeling like she thought she was having some early labor stuff. So on Sunday, this being like January 26, I think, with I was like, all right, it's happening today. I got everything packed. We were good to go. And then nothing. And then the next day, nothing. The next day, nothing. The next day, nothing. So then I'd kind of just given up hope. Like this is going to be weeks. We've got to wait to the real due date. Um, I don't know. You you know what it, you know what it's like just before the baby's born. You're oh, anxious. Yeah. You just yep. want it to happen, right? Oh yeah, that those last couple of weeks before the due date are just are crazy. Yeah, like just, I couldn't uh, the focus. Unknown. Yeah, it was just just I don't know how to describe it other than it's kind of like I don't know the build up to like a big presentation or you've got some big meeting or presentation. You kind of get those nerves. You just want to get it over with so you can move on with your life. That's yep. sort of what was going on. So. Hurry up and wait is basically yeah. what it feels like. Yeah. So so we finally – we get this doctor's appointment though and at this point we're like, all right, it's probably not happening for another week, week and a half. So I'll drive you to the appointment just to be safe but I'm not getting too excited about anything. So we go to the appointment and I let Kylie go up to the doctor and I just stay in the truck doing some work. And I get a phone call like 15 minutes later and Kylie's like, ah, market's happening now. Come on up. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. Um, I wasn't ready for this. So I go and I start trying to grab bags. I'm like, what bags do you need? What stuff should I get? What, do I, how fast do I need to get up there? Um, and so then I am going upstairs. So I grab the stuff and I go upstairs and, um, we get, we get in, they basically said that when she had her, um, you know, appointment, they kind of reviewed stuff, checked out stuff. And what they saw was just basically like, it's go time. Somehow my wife hadn't been feeling anything. She didn't think she was going into labor, but it was happening. So we get in, they do all this stuff. And, um, without going into too much detail, two things. Number one, I had to go back out to the car to get something. So I'll go back out to the car and I realized that like an hour prior when I had ran around getting all my stuff, I'd forgotten to close the door. So I had the door open to my truck for like a whole hour outside there. So I guess I was a little frazzled. Uh, and then number two, when I got back upstairs, it just, it happened like 30 minutes, bing, bang, boom, very intense. All of a sudden we had a baby. So baby number two has arrived. His name is Colton. And, uh, that happened four days ago, five days ago, something like that. So I've been kind of off the grid since that, um, trying to learn how to have two kids. Uh, it's been, it's been an adventure, Josh. Are you ready to have another one? Yeah, man. Well, uh, we're, we're not having any of those conversations that we we're, we're still, uh, very happy with just the one right now. So, uh, maybe, maybe in another year or so we'll start having those conversations, but. Hey man, congratulations to you guys. Happy, excited for you guys. Thank you. I uh, can't wait to meet the little guy. Yeah, he's he's cool. He's super cute. He, you know, Everett came out with very light hair, not a lot of hair, and pretty light. And he's kind of had varying shades. Like at first it was kind of almost reddish or auburn and then it became super blonde and now it's kind of brown. Uh but Colton came out with a great big head of black hair. <laughs> so Yeah, man. He's uh, a he's a cutie. I think uh, I think he is your baby for sure. Yeah. So, I, um, my mom sent me some baby pictures of me, and it, it's like a doppelganger. He's my twin. Oh yeah, yeah. Kylie sent that to Kelly. Oh yeah. My wife. <laughs> I was like, holy cow, that is crazy. Isn't that funny? It's, uh, it's really kind of weird how similar those pictures are. We both so. kind of look like 
I don't know. We just look the same. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like what I imagined my buddy Jason Tran looking like as a baby. (laughs) It's what me and my son look like. (laughs) So, yeah, man. Um, It's been an adventure. He's, I, he, for some reason, when I'm on shift, he won't sleep at night. But whenever my wife's on shift, he sleeps great. So, sleeps a, sleeps a work in progress right now but yep, uh yep. otherwise stuff's going good but it has made it just harder to get regular life up and going again so appreciate you find some time to to intro this one with me on a, yeah, on a short sure. time frame are you getting pumped for shed hunting yet because i am dude. that's on the I mind am. for me a lot i'm starting to see antlers pop up on social media and people are starting to scoop them up so mm-hmm. i'm uh i'm getting anxious to get out there i'm just crazy with work right now so i'm trying to figure out when i can get out but i'm getting anxious for sure that's the nice thing about shed hunting is it's one of those things that if you've got a flexible job or any kind of flexibility in your schedule to get out for a long lunch break or something it's the kind of thing you can kind of do in little bits of time it's not like regular deer hunting where you got to take a whole morning or whole afternoon or whole week um you can say oh you know for my lunch break i'm gonna take an hour lunch break and i'm just gonna go walk this little patch of woods behind the factory or i'm gonna go walk this piece of public land um that's what i I got a big chunk of i got a big chunk of public right by me and i'm i'm planning on getting the the dog out for a walk on one of these days during the lunch hour and just i'm don't have very high hopes, but it'd be fun to at least get the get the dog out, stretch the legs out a little bit, and who knows? Yeah, who knows I mean, it's fine. just a good excuse to get outside. For for me, at least, it can be if you're not if you're if it's not time to go scouting yet, or you can't get to your main hunting properties to scout. Um, this is like your best excuse in February or March to get out there doing something. Yeah. Um, after the cabin fever of January sets in, you just kind of need it. Um, that's a huge thing I like about shed hunting. Um, you know, as far as what you can, how you can benefit from it from a hunting perspective, there are a few things I don't get too caught up in what it does for me from a hunting perspective. I kind of do it for the pure joy of it, but you can, I mean, if nothing else, you can learn a little bit about what deer made it through to the next year. You know, like finding trans antlers the other day. Now I know for sure he's made it into February or January. And, uh, you know, that's a good feeling. And you can sort of confirm theories about where they might be bedded because lots of times those bedding areas will be the spots you'll find the sheds. So that helps. Um, But, man, I just like the fun of it. It's it's just like a Easter egg hunt for adults. Yep. No, it's it's a blast. And, um, I mean, you wouldn't think it'd be that fun just walking around looking at the ground, but I don't know. There's something about it. It just draws you in and keeps you focused the, the whole time you're out there. Just, you know, it's really that interaction that you have, you know, similar to hunting when you're, when you're out there in the woods, um, you're not just walk, walking around aimlessly. You've got a, you've got a goal that you're looking for and yeah. kind of helps, helps you keep, uh, keep in the zone. Yeah. Well, it's, I think, you know, uh, the, the chemical, inside the human body that creates a craving is dopamine or it's when you get this little dopamine burst because of some kind of reward it then causes you to crave it more and more and what we get as a shed hunter when you see that tine or when you see that crown shape or when you see the curve of an antler beam that burst of excitement that little dopamine burst is just the thing I mean, I love the moment of confirmation. Like, oh, 
shit, I got one. <laughs> that is the best yep. thing in yep. the world. Yep. I yep. mean, do you remember our trip? We did our North Dakota, Montana trip. And I flipped the canoe into the river and I was soaking wet <laughs> and we're walking through those nasty Russian olive bushes. And then you uh, pop out into yeah. that little opening. Describe to me what that feeling was like when you popped out of that thicket and you saw that big old triple brow tide shed. I, I just picked up that shed right now. It's sitting right here by my desk. That was, <laughs> I didn't even know, you know, what I was looking at until I picked it up. You know, you could just, it, the, the, the triple brow or the big brow time is down and in, in kind of the snow and leaves and stuff. And I couldn't even see it. I picked up it like, Holy cow. Um, that was by far my best shot I've ever found. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just really kicked off. That was a, that was a precursor of what was to come that day. That was just an absolutely epic day of shed hunting. Yeah. Um, well, it was awesome. There's like two phases to, there's two, I don't know how many there are, but there's two things I can think of right now when it comes to like the fun of the shed hunt. There's that moment when you see it, like that burst I just talked about. So that's like step yep. one. That's huge. And the second great moment is when you walk up to it and you get to finally pick it up. You, you finally touch it and you lift it up and you admire it and you look at it and you spin it around and show your buddies. Like that's a next really awesome little moment. Um, and I don't know, I'm trying to think what, what then after that, then I, I, at least as I keep going, I love to continue just admiring it. Once you, you pick it up, you look at it, then you keep walking. And then I love to just keep spinning around my hands, feel the yep. weight of it. Even like here in my office, I've got that match set from Tran on the bookshelf behind me. And like at least once a day, if not multiple times, I keep going back <laughs> to it, picking them up, looking at them, yep. thinking about them, being yep. like, man, just two months ago, I was even a month ago, even a couple of weeks ago, really, what is it? Today's early February. So yeah, a little yeah. over a month ago. Um, I was out there watching this deer with these antlers on his head, right? Obsessing right. about that, trying to find that deer. And now like I'm holding a part of that creature. That is, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's wild. And I, I think one thing that you missed on, you know, after you pick one up is there, there's that immediate like reaction, like, okay, got to match him up. Where's the other side? It's got to oh, yeah. be around here somewhere. So you get that little, again, burst of, of, of adrenaline, you know, keeping your eyes peeled in that same general area, hoping you can, you can match the other side up. Yeah. And, I don't know. There's always seems to be that, you know, burst of energy right after you find one trying to find the other side keeps you going for a while. New optimism for sure. Yep. That huge yep. boost of optimism. You, even if you're not the one who found it, if even one of the f- people you're out there with finds one that always just makes, I think everyone feel better and excited. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, yep. Unless you're one of our friends, you just get a little bit more down every time <laughs> someone finds one and you don't. Yes. As long as you don't get too worked up about who finds the most sheds, then you can have fun. <laughs> get a, get a, uh, rejoice in the group success. Um, otherwise, yeah, you can get a little, uh, Thanksgiving <laughs> depressed on it. If you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but man, it's funny you bring that up because I think the final thing I love about shed hunting is so much of the time. It's like a communal thing. It's a thing you can go out and do with friends. I mean, all of my best shed hunting memories are when I'm with people Sure, I love getting out there and just walking by myself and finding some, but the best times are like the trips where you go out with buddies or going out there with my family or, you know, like our Iowa shed camp. Um, yep. Just the fun times you can have because you're out there together, you're BSing, you're talking. It's, it's yeah, very, it's so laid back. Yeah, yeah. It's not nearly as solitary as sitting in a tree by yourself. And, and I love right. that, of course, but it's also fun to be able to do these things just like turkey hunting is where it can be like just having a good time with your buddies. Um, 
I don't know. If I think about my favorite shed hunting memories, I'm thinking our Iowa shed trips with the crew. Just yep. just stupid stuff going on, laughing all the time. I'm thinking about that North Dakota Montana trip that you and I took together. Just yep. unreal scenery, unreal sheds, just like the camped out in the tents in the snow. Uh our trips down to Ohio. Yes. Our trips to Ohio. Those are great times. Yeah. So you know, and and I mostly with the exception of like the North Dakota Montana trip, I mean, we haven't found like a ton of sheds as a group, but they're always just so fun just because they're they're just so laid back and you know, hang around camp. You know, we're usually camping or doing something. Um, so it's just a, a great time, even if we're not finding a lot of antlers. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of that, favorite shed camp or shed trip memories. I've oh, got, easy I've got, oh, well, what's yours? I've got well, a couple. Probably one of yours. Probably, you probably similar. Uh, Andy burning a hole through the tent. <laughs> that was exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how that's not number one. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. Oh, God. I'm from a, a borrowed tent. It wasn't even his own tent. Yeah, so he's borrowing but, our friend's sister's tent, and he starts to break down the tent to go pack it up, and he forgot that he had a Mr. Buddy heater in there on and so when he collapsed the tent down, <laughs> it just burst into flames. <laughs> well, and our and and our buddy who Dustin, whose tent it was, he had left the day before. Yeah, I know. And he's like, "Hey, we just leave that tent for us." <laughs> that tent I feel, I feel like home. I feel like Andy even said though he's like, uh, "Although maybe this isn't such a good idea because <laughs> I, I tend to screw things up." <laughs> oh man. That, I don't know, that heater was necessary though. That was a cold, cold weekend. That was cold. Speaking of cold weekends of shed hunting, that brings me to another favorite moment, which was at the end of our shed hunting mm-hmm. trip in Montana. You mm-hmm. and me, we were yep. camped out in our little backpacking tents off the side of the road on yep. some state land or BLM land or something. And we go into town to go to a bar uh, to get some food. And as we're walking in, some girl walks by and she says, are you those guys camped out off that road down there? I'm like, yeah, that's us. Yep, there she says, you guys are pretty badass. Pretty badass. <laughs> I was a little disappointed that didn't make it into the book, Mark. I know. You know, it's funny. A, I totally forgot about trip. that. <laughs> that's probably the first and only time we'll ever be called badasses. I know, but I'm going to take it and run with it. <laughs> So those are, those are two top ones. Uh, yep. or, or what about this one with Andy? So Andy Bradley, we're out there shed hunting in Iowa. Oh. And he, he comes walking along this grassy patch and he sees a shed, his first shed of the trip, right? And maybe yep. his first shed ever. I can't remember if that's true or not, but he grabs the shed. He's like, I got one. And then Ross looks over and he says, oh, I found that one last year and threw it back. <laughs> Because it was all chewed up, is 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 in not good shape. Yeah, and I think uh, that, oh man, that's that, pretty funny. That killed shed hunting for Andy after that. He's like, oh, ah, yeah. stupid. Uh, has he ever gone since? I don't know if he's ever shed hunted since. Yes, <laughs> Ross ruined him. Oh god, I don't know. Those are those are three top ones for me. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, I think another. I think another one you already mentioned it was you flipping the canoe. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a that's a given. Um, I've got one that sticks out as not being very happy with you. Um, this is uh, our same trip, North Dakota. We were in North Dakota at the time and we had just taken this long hike to get around to this other side, this little section that we wanted well, to go you to milk this one. And we're so we're much. hiking, <laughs> we're, we're going. And I, had we found any sheds at this point yet? 
had we hit that other side yet? Or was this you, the you, had, you had just found the match set. Those are the I first thought, ones. Yeah, I found that match set out in the middle of that, that sagebrush field, just sitting there in the open, which is awesome. But that, you know, we hadn't found much before that. And gosh, you're just walking along and the spot looks sweet. And I'm, I'm staying in my lane. You know, the, the unwritten rules of shed hunting. You're not yeah, supposed yeah, to have yeah. wandering eyes and, and <laughs> cut into someone else's path. And up ahead of me, there's this, uh, I don't know, three or four point side out of the corner of my eyes. He marked just sprinting in front of me. You did not see it before I saw it though. I saw it and called it before you saw it for sure. I don't know. I don't know. This is your word against mine. (laughs) Uh, I seem to be more trustworthy than you typically. So, Uh, um, yeah, man, shed poached me. Shed poached you. Well, we'll have to get out here soon and, uh, get after it and you'll have an opportunity to try to return the favor i guess <laughs> well we've got a we've got a spot that we could go together i think would be pretty prime for sheds here in in a couple of weeks at eight or ten acres a bunch of conifers right in right by a little creek bottom i think might be dynamite for sheds why do so, i not know about this where is this dude you know about this where i hunted all year oh yeah i totally forgot about that yeah you're right <laughs> That should be yeah, great. so if there's any bucks that didn't get killed out, out there, there's a lot of them that got killed around me. But I totally um, forgot about man, that. I don't think there's a better area in that block than than right there for those oh. deer to spend time during the winter. So that has got to be it. Ooh, we should we need to make yeah. a plan. I totally forgot yeah. that. That's got me yeah. all excited. Yeah, um, dude. I think that's. I'm I'm looking forward to getting my dog out there and running him around a little bit because I I've never had him in a he's quote unquote trained. Uh, shed dog that's very uh <laughs> very loose uh <laughs> quotes there but he's never been in a spot he could really find any so it'd be fun to get him out there and boone and see if they could see pick if any they up can out there eat a lot of deer shit and run in circles yeah exactly and, and then puke everywhere and they <laughs> yeah, get home that's so. probably the reality of what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah man we gotta uh, get out there soon all right well let's get on uh let's make it happen if i can um find some little nugget of free time now between chasing two kids around i might yeah, have to bring man. everett but everett's really everett's enjoying the hikes i took him out just the other day again and he's enjoying that so wade might be a little young for that but we'll see soon i try to get him out there soon. Yep. all right man well uh, this is this is perfect i just want to kind of fluff fluff up the audience with some shed hunting excitement before we dive <laughs> into the tips and tactics and all that so uh i am thoroughly excited i'm looking right now at the shed from Holyfield, the shed from Six Shooter, and the shed from Frank, all across the wall in front of me, all these bucks that um, that I've been fortunate enough to see and hunt, and a, and a couple I've killed, and uh, I'm waiting to see what the next one of those might be. So let's uh, let's get after it and pick up some bone here soon. Yeah, dude, can't wait. Looking forward to it. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we're gonna get back with some of my very best shed hunting advice. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via 
convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I want to give you guys a heads up about an event coming up. March, oh gosh, I think it's March 13th through the 14th. No, sorry, March 12th through the 14th. It is the Quality Deer Management Association's Whitetail Weekend. It's down in Athens, Georgia. This is like their national convention for 2020, and I'm one of the keynote speakers. I will be speaking on the 14th. That's March 14th. It's a Saturday, and I would love to see you guys there. All sorts of great events, educational social events, demonstrations, and lots, lots more. Head over to QDMA.com to register. Like I said, it's down in Athens, Georgia, March 12th through 14th, but I will be speaking on the 14th. Hope to see you guys there. All right, so now it's just me, and I want to share with you guys a couple key pointers, I guess, when it comes to shed hunting. We've talked about shed hunting a lot in past episodes We're going to share a few more of those best of moments here in a minute, but I want to share a few of my best of pieces of shed hunting advice. Over the last decade, I have spent a ton of time in the woods trying to become a good shed hunter and figuring it out. And a few of the things that have been most important to me are what I want to share with you next. And the first thing is all about timing, the importance of knowing the right time to go shed hunting. Because if you go shed hunting too early, there's some downsides. And if you go shed hunting too late, there are some downsides. So how do you figure that out? Well, here's what I want to tell you. And this is from an article I wrote for The Meat Eater. If you go to TheMeatEater.com, you can find a whole bunch of my writing. But I wrote a little bit here on this topic, and I want to talk to you about that. So if you go hunting, shed hunting too early, think about this. The more frequently you walk through an area, the more likely you are to stress local wildlife. If you're shed hunting in an area where deer or elk struggle through tough winters, your presence could be detrimental to their survival. For this reason, an increasing number of western states have put shed hunting seasons in place, delaying pressure until most of the winter's passed. Antler collectors in the northeast or upper Great Lakes might consider a self-imposed shed hunting delay for these same reasons. Early shed hunting, by way of increased hunting pressure, can also push bucks out of your area before they've even dropped their antlers. You know, if you're out there hiking around looking for antlers that are still on top of a deer's head, you're wasting your time, and you're reducing the chances of those antlers ever ending up in an area you can search. So in an ideal situation, you want bucks feeling comfortable and spending large amounts of time on your property. And then, only after the majority of those antlers have dropped, do you want to go in there looking for them. 
So another thing to keep in mind though is that snow is a factor when planning your shed hunts. It goes without saying that shed hunting in very snowy conditions is more difficult and usually a waste of time. So those are some things about going too early. On the flip side, if you wait too long, if you shed hunt too late, especially in areas with high squirrel or rodent populations, you then risk significant damage being done to those falling antlers. You know, the longer an antler sits on the ground, the more likely another animal is going to come over and start chewing on it. Another thing to keep in mind is human competition. That is rising every year. More and more shed hunters are heading out there. So if you are shed hunting shared ground or public land and you show up late, there might not be any antlers left to find at all. So keeping all of that in mind, it's important to keep track of several different factors that should also help you determine when the timing is right. The most obvious of these is the actual calendar date. The shedding of antlers is primarily driven by dropping testosterone levels, and that's tied to changes in daylight. Since the change in photo period over the course of winter happens at a predictable rate, the timing of antler drop is also relatively consistent. For the Midwest, the peak of whitetail antler drop tends to occur from early February through early March. It's also important to consider how other factors might shift the timing of antler drop earlier or later, kind of localize things. So variables such as how severe the winter was, what the available nutrition is, uh, or even the health of individual bucks can all slide the timing of antler drop one way or another. So the best way I've found to keep tabs on these regional factors is to monitor the local deer herd with your trail cameras. So I like to check my trail cams. I like to place them near the best winter food sources, checking them about weekly. When I see that more than 50% of the bucks have shed, I know it's go time. So with all that said, on most years, between February 15th and March 15th is usually the best time to start shed hunting, at least in my neck of the woods. So I would consider, or at least recommend, taking a look at those dates and then adjusting your starting point in either direction based on those things I just mentioned, severity of winter, available nutrition, and the results of your trail cameras. Now, once you know when to start shed hunting, the next thing is how do you become a better shed hunter? And we're going to cover a few more different tips, but I think one of the most important things I've learned is the importance of being an efficient shed hunter. So here's a little bit of insight I wrote up again for the Mediator website. The best and worst shed hunting advice I ever received was just keep walking. You know, there's a beautiful simplicity to that idea, but also this dangerous oversimplification. When I first began shed hunting, I took this approach to heart and I simply walked, walked and walked and walked and walked and walked. And as most beginning shed hunters do, I blindly traversed every square inch of every property I had access to. And yes, on occasion, I'd actually find an antler. It was a great rush. But the more years I spent scouring the forest floors of the Midwest, the more I came to realize my approach was flawed. More precisely, it was inefficient. I found that the key to picking up more sheds is not just endless determined walking. It's actually more efficient walking. So why does efficiency matter? I found more than 50 whitetail antlers last year across Michigan, Ohio, and Montana. And when studying the location of each of these antlers, a pattern emerged that was consistent with my own observations from the past decade. The vast majority of the antlers I found were located in the most predictable locations. And this pattern seemed to adhere to something I learned about in economics called the Pareto Principle, or more commonly, the 80-20 rule. This rule states that 80% of a given outcome generally results from 20% of the input when this is applied to shed hunting. It matches the pattern I observed almost perfectly. 
somewhere around 80% of the sheds I found were located in only about 20% of the area I had access to. And I've seen this now time and time again. Sheds are not spread randomly across the landscape. Instead, they're most commonly found in concentrated areas for very specific reasons. With this being the case, the most effective shed hunters are the most efficient shed hunters. It's those who spend the majority of their time focused on searching these key areas that have the most success. Rather than spreading your shed hunting time equally across an entire property, you want to apply a higher degree of thoroughness to the highest potential areas. So then, how do you identify that top 20%? When looking at my 50 antlers from last year and the dozens of others from previous years, it's clear that the majority of sheds were found in one of two types of locations, either food sources or bedding areas. When it comes to food sources, focus on those that are highly attracted to deer during the winter months. These food sources are the hub of the wheel that a winter whitetail's world revolves around. As quality food at this time is hard to come by. For this reason, winter whitetails will frequently relocate from their typical summer or fall ranges to be close to the best food. Depending on your location, this quality winter food might come in the form of corn or beans, alfalfa, turnips, radishes, winter wheat, or any other number of quality agriculture or native forage options. The key to locating the best late season food sources in your area is to identify the field or location with the highest amount of recent deer sign. In particular, I'm seeking out fresh tracks and fresh droppings. Rubs, scrapes, trails, all that stuff from last fall, they don't help you at this point because what matters is where deer have been through January up to March. Once you've found those best food sources, you're halfway to your 20%. But the second half of your high priority area comes in the form of bedding years near those food sources. Winter bedding can come in the form of sunny, southern-facing hillsides, cedar or pine thickets, native grasses or CRP, or any other kind of thick cover that's adjacent to that high-quality late-season food. Again, you want to confirm this by looking at these winter bedding areas and seeking out the fresh tracks, droppings, and oval depressions formed by bedded animals. So now you've got your 20% focus area. How do you now use your 80% of thoroughness in that 20%? Once you've identified your top 20%, it's time to apply your shed hunting time to these sections in earnest, placing a disproportionate amount of your focus in these high-priority regions. Now, before my whole efficiency revelation, I would spend days grid-searching an entire property. I'd walk a straight line down a border and then shift 40 yards down and do the same thing going back the other direction. The issue wasn't just that I was spending time on the low-odds locations, but when I did actually arrive at the high-odds spots, I was either too short on time to properly search them, or I was so burnt out that my focus dipped. So, rather than spending 10 hours walking an entire property, I'll now spend the first 8 scouring the bedding and feeding areas. And when I do that, I'm fully engaged and I've got high hopes. My time spent there is higher quality, more focused, and ultimately more productive. With more time to spend in these small areas, I can make the extra effort to change my perspective which means sometimes standing on top of logs for a different view or looking back behind me in an area that might otherwise have been blocked by brush. I move slowly and I scan with more attention to detail. I pick apart a landscape for any telltale flash of white or curve of a beam. I carefully look behind down trees, underneath lone cedars, and in tall grass bordering food, picking apart each particularly promising piece of habitat. In a perfect world, By focusing your shed hunting time on the top 20% of a property, you'll have more time to spend on additional shed hunting areas and focus on the top 20% there as well. The end result should be 100% of your time or close to it spent in high probability locations 
rather than wasting it on the low probability sections that comprise most areas. Now, of course, all rules are made to be broken. And yes, I find sheds every year in random locations, not associated with bedding or feeding. But the general trend almost always applies. Efficiency is the name of the game when it comes to smart and productive shed hunting. And the 80-20 rule can help you achieve it. So those are two of the biggest ideas that I keep in mind when I go out shed hunting. Number one, timing my shed hunting to make sure I'm not going in too early and I'm not going in too late. And then number two, when I do start hitting my spots, I'm efficient. I really focus on the highest probability locations. Now, when it comes to how to spot sheds, how to pick the perfect little locations where there might be one, like underneath the cedar tree, all of us have been covered in detail in past episodes and in articles, but I want to share with you a few more pieces of advice from some of our past guests. First off, we've got Dan Perez from Whitetail Properties, and I want to share with you a segment from our our chat with him on episode 46, in which he discusses how he starts his shed hunting process each year and the most important places he searches. And then finally, Dan shares some very unique advice for a uh, a special spot. You might be able to find an antler or two. Concerning the the timing, um, I work the edges, the fields, and stuff. And again, because I don't want to push them out. Uh, so, so when it's time, when when the majority of the deer have dropped their antlers, then I, I'll, I'll enter the timber as well. This way, I won't push them out by working the fields. But now I'm looking for them in their in antlers in their bedding areas and and uh, and a lot of other uh, places. I look in bedding areas, and I, and I'll tell you, I, the the best way that I look at it is if I'm a deer and I'm 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 out all night, okay, and now sun the sun is starting to come out. And I, and I catch those first warm rays that are coming from the south and from the east. Well, I'm just going to, I'm on a bed somewhere where I'm nice and comfortable and that sun hits me because it's been cold all night. It's, it's winter. Uh, so two places that I key on, uh, I, I like to, to key on edge. Uh, edge, uh, and edge is, is very dominant here because of the, the agriculture, you know, edge. Um uh, that is uh, on the on the south and the southeast side of the edge. I look for that quite a bit. I, I slopes, um, the side of hogbacks or or hills or or, or uh, gullies. The the sides where it does two things. It it, it uh, you've got the the south facing slope. If there's not if it's not heavily timbered, you'll get plenty of sun and it's warm and it's comfortable and that's where they bed. And that the the back side of that slope is it breaks the wind. It's important to, for them not to have that north wind on them. So it, it serves as two purposes. That's when I go into the timber. On when I'm when I'm in the field first, I'm looking at the at the south southeast edges quite a bit. I don't I don't hardly look at the shade side of of stuff very much. Although I Oh, I will when I'm driving around, but uh, most of the antlers I find will be where, where, the, where the deer finally bedded after a long night, and they want to bed somewhere warm, you know, if that makes sense to you guys. So, so the, the south-facing slopes and the south-facing edge is, is a big deal for me. And, and, I, and, and, and the other thing to go along with, I think you mentioned something about, um, I think about dry bedding. I'm not, I'm not sure the context of what you said, but dry bedding is really important also because when the snow thaws, everything's wet. And you would think that uh, 
the oak leaves would be good, but the oak leaves get pretty muddy out, out, out in the timber. I like, I like cedar thickets quite a bit. And maybe that's what you mentioned. Maybe it was cedars. I'm not sure. Cedars, yeah. pines, anything that provides really dry bedding. Um, a lot of people plant the warm season grasses on their properties. When those grasses fall over, they provide really dry bedding as well. Those deer, you know, it's cold, and they, they don't really like to lay in a mud puddle. So, so I, I, I key on those areas. I try to, what I try to do is knock out the areas that uh, are the hottest spots first. That's, that's where I'm going first. Of course, the hottest areas, um, and it changes with time, is, is the, the post-season food sources, the best post-season food sources. Because, you know, there's food sources that were hot, really hot during hunting season that uh, at the end of the at the post of the season, they're cold. Maybe that's, that was uh, clover, for example. It, it turns dormant. It, as soon as it freezes, it's dormant. You know? So some of the hotter, hotter food sources, I obviously look for antlers in those food sources and around those food sources. So now I could venture into the timber around those really hot food sources. That's, uh, that's probably my number one. Um, you know, and I, I know on this particular topic of timing I, I don't know if you want me to get into some other stuff but i got some stuff that people don't even think of when when hunting antlers and i could save it if it's the wrong timing well i, I hate to you i hate to have a cliffhanger here now i'm really intrigued yeah, um, go for it let's let's hear that now and then i've got a million other questions now that i'm thinking of as you're touching on some of these things but let's hear the uh the not so commonly thought of antler tips I have found probably more antlers doing this than, especially farms where not too many people mess around the ponds. There's years where where it's not so wet and it, there's not so much snow like there is right now. So so water even in the winter is not very available. And some of the southern regions also, it's it's never available. And if you have a year of drought, um, ponds. Uh, there's antlers laying in ponds. If those ponds have never been dry, they've never gone dry, and no one's ever done this, you may have a wealth of antlers in your pond. And what I, what I do is I take a long pole, very long pole, depending on the size of the pond, with a rake head on the end of it, and uh, drag. In other words, I reach as far as I can reach into the pond, and then I drag back towards the shore. And, and when you feel on the end of that rake, you feel a, a little bink, bink, you know you have an antler on the other end, and I, and I drag them out. And, and it's kind of cool because, um, it, it, you know, like I, 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 bought, uh, um, I bought a new farm. Let's see, it's, it's been three seasons now. And the first thing I did was drag the ponds. And, and I didn't find that many. It, these ponds, some of them dried up, but I, I found 15 antlers by dragging ponds. Wow. Um, and, and the cool thing about it, there's nothing eating those antlers. There's nothing eating them, and the water actually preserves them. They'll, they'll be a different color. There'll be a little little shade of an of a brownish, like a, not a dark brown, but but kind of a medium brown color from being underwater if they've been there for a long time. But the, the antlers still perfectly intact. Nothing. They don't. Uh, unlike an antler that's been laying out, you know, like here and in the south, squirrels eat antlers. Mice eat antlers. They eat them very quickly. In the west, where they don't have so many squirrels, in some cases, no squirrels. An antler may lay there for years without being touched, but that antler will, it'll dry out, you know, it'll kind of bleach out, and, 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 and when you pick it up, it won't weigh anything. But the ones that you pull out of the ponds, they, uh, 
they'll be perfect. You know, I mean, they'll they'll, they'll they're they still have the same amount of marrow. They're solid. You know, so wow. that that's something that I know a lot of people haven't has have not done. I mean, I'm, I'm probably the only one crazy <laughs> enough to try it. Yeah, you that, know, you take the cake yeah. for the craziest, most unique shed hunting tip I've ever heard. <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. yeah. Now, now, uh, probably now, when we when we acquire a farm, I won't be able to find antlers because I let it out of the bag. <laughs> yep. You know, because. <laughs> Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. And continuing on, we've got Joe Shedd, an outdoor writer and shed hunting expert. He actually wrote a book on shed hunting, and we had him on episode 138 of the podcast. We pulled a couple excerpts from that, and I want to first start with Joe tackling the same question that I talked a little bit about earlier and that Dan mentioned too, which is, where do you find the most sheds? But Joe has got some specific details, which I think are very helpful. So uh, here's what he had to say on that. Well, you know what? in the simplest terms, I mean, deer are going to be either bedding, feeding, or, or traveling between those two areas in the, in the winter time. So you can kind of narrow it down to those three types of things. You know, it might be farm fields, it might be uh, uh, haystacks, it could be, you know, just um, forest browse, could be the feeding areas, um, bedding areas, um, it could be good thick cover, it could be some conifers, you know, some pine trees or something that provides some shelter from the wind. Uh, catches the snow, um, holds it up in the branches. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize too is that uh, sometimes the best uh, bedding cover is a lack of cover, um, and that's where the south-facing hillsides come into play. Um, that's always a really good spot to look for sheds because that's the area that gets the most direct sunlight in the winter. And uh, you'll find if if you're in a snowy region like I live, um, the north slope will have a lot more snow than the south side because the sun's beating down and melting it. And uh, a deer is a lot like a cat. It likes to, you know, like a cat sitting in a window, soaking up that sunlight. A deer is going to do the same thing. It's it's trying to survive. It's you know it's trying to conserve body heat, and and uh, a lot of times they'll bed on that south slope. 
uh, sometimes east slope as well, um, trying to take advantage of that morning sun too. Um, so those are things I look for, I guess, uh, in general. Um, you know, good feed, uh, good food sources, um, south slope of hills, um, you know, bedding areas that might be, uh, you know, thick cover like pine trees, like I said, or, or thick brush. Uh, it just kind of depends. You know, Do you focus ever on like fence crossings or crick crossings or I guess where do you typically find a majority of your sheds? Yeah. Well, the fence and creek thing, as you mentioned, and I'm sure you know, is um, they're jumping that obstacle of fence or the creek and, and on impact they can lose an antler. Um, and I have found sheds uh, laying right in creeks before. Um, everybody talks about the fence crossing. I've actually only found very few sheds at fence crossings, but they do occur. Um, I guess I don't look a lot of along a lot of fence lines. Yeah, sorry, fence lines either. But uh, you know, most of my sheds, um, and it comes down to the areas I search too. Where I live, we don't have agricultural fields, so everything is looking in the forest. Um, so then, you know, your your food source really can be pretty much anywhere. It's not a really defined area. So as a shed hunter, I I kind of am a bed oriented. Um, person. I look for deer beds. I look for areas where they're, you know, either a defined bed in one particular spot or maybe like a ridge line where they're going to bed all along that ridge. That's kind of how I look. And I know I've shed hunted with other people and we have, we have different styles and it's kind of comes down to what we're used to. Um, guys are more agricultural areas are going to be more likely to, you know, look those field edges or whatever. And, you know, you kind of start with what you know, but you should be willing to adapt in different situations as well. Right. Yeah. Speaking of like locations, one um, on the on the bedding area side of things, one kind of just randomly popped in my head that, um, and I, and I got to say, Joe, um, taking a step back here, when I first got into shed hunting, um, I don't know, eight years ago or nine years ago or whatever it was now, um, I did pick up your book. And I read it and it definitely helped me. And I think I read this in your book originally, and now I've seen it play out in my own life time and time again. When you're on a hillside or in a forest or something, and you have like an individual conifer tree, an evergreen tree by itself, I've seen so many times that those are the spots where a buck will bed and you find a shed there, you know, that little cedar tree or something by itself and some tall grass or something. I always zoom over to those locations. If ever I see one, because that seems to be like one of those little wild card spots, kind of where, um, you know, it's like the spot within the spot, like it's a bedding area, but then that specific spot within the bedding area tends to be that isolated bedding tree or something. Um, do you find that kind of thing still too? Yeah, you, you definitely nail it right on the head. Um, if I could, pick out like my ideal spot to find a shed. It would be like a, a one lone conifer tree in a hardwood forest on a, on a south slope of a hill. You know, it's, and if you think about it, um, if, you know, trappers are really good at reading the landscape. You, you think about your own hunting situation. How many times have you been walking through the woods where it's maybe hardwoods or something? There's one big, tall white pine in that hardwoods. And guess what? Somebody's got a stand hanging in that tree. You know, it stands out. I mean, people relate to it. Animals relate to it. You know, they'll find uh, bones underneath these trees where a fox or a coyote has sat there and just chewed on a bone. I mean, it, it's something that sticks out from the landscape. And it's, it's not just deer that pick up on it, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Those, those bucks will go out of their way to bed underneath that lone tree or, or just a few scattered pines here and there in an otherwise hardwood forest. Continuing on, here's Joe talking about 
his advice for how to better spot sheds. So not just where to look for them, but how to look for them and the best conditions when you're out there looking for antlers. What kind of advice do you have for people to actually help you see more sheds and actually spot more sheds? Because it's one thing to know where you should be looking. It's another thing to actually find them. How do you, how do you get better at that? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, well, the first thing, and it sounds simple, but I always tell people to keep their eyes on the ground. Because uh, <laughs> the first couple of times that I go out for the year, I'll, I'll be seeing deer. You know, I'll be, I'll be in deer hunting mode. I'll be looking, you know, three feet off the ground trying to see a deer when I need to keep my eyes on the ground. And it's something you really have to consciously tell yourself. Um, I'll go out with a buddy, and, and he'll be like, did you see that rub? And I'll be like, what rub? Because I wasn't looking that high. <laughs> You know, um, it's not that extreme all the time. I mean, I certainly right. see rubs and stuff, but you really need to be looking at the ground. Um, and that's where they're going to be. Um, and it sounds simple, but until you, you know, what people always talk about throwing an antler out and, uh, and looking for it. Or if you're with a buddy and he finds a shed, maybe he doesn't touch it and you come and find it. And until you kind of get in that situation, it's, it's kind of like catching a fish. Until you feel that, uh, how a walleye bites then you kind of understand it. And once you find that first shed, then something seems to click. And all of a sudden, after that, it becomes easier. You know, same thing, the first shed of the year, it always seems to be hard because you're just not in that zone. And once, once you see it, it, it clicks in your mind. And then you, you start realizing, it's like, okay, I'm looking for tines sticking up out of the grass. And, you know, and it might not be a hole antler. It might be something behind a log or, or buried in grass or something. You, you're maybe just looking for a couple of inches of that tine sticking out. And uh, you start to kind of train your eye to see it and develop a feel for what you you should really be looking for. Do you? Uh, is there a weather condition that you really like to to hunt in, to shed hunt in? Well, you know, but everybody always says the, the cloudy days are best because you're not squinting, and and after rain because that mats down the grass and the leaves and and uh, makes a little bit of a shine on the antler. Everybody talks about that, but. It, it is hard to look into a into the sunshine. Uh, you certainly want to keep your the sun at your back if you can. Um, I guess I I go whenever I can, <laughs> but uh, ideally, you know, a cloudy day after a rain would be the best conditions. You know, another thing I've I've sometimes done and heard other people suggest is trying to find like different perspectives. Like even if you've walked through an area once and it seems like you saw everything, like sometimes it's a good idea to stand on top of a stump or kneel down and, and look around. Do you ever do that kind of thing just to try to see things at a different angle or anything? Um, yeah. I, you know, a lot of guys talk about walking behind or looking behind them once in a while as well. And, and sometimes you'll see a shed that you walked right by, you know, maybe the sun was in your eyes or there was a, a branch in your way or, or something that caused you to not be able to see it. Um, but sometimes you know, I've certainly found sheds that I've walked within feet of, and uh, I came back, you know, on another pass through there just, you know, by chance or whatever, and, and here that antler was laying right there. It was, you know, it was maybe, you know, behind a, a fallen log or something like that, um, or maybe sometimes you just were looking left when you should have been looking right, you know, and um, that's another consideration is how fast you walk. Um, I always try to not walk faster than my eyes can see. You know, if you're sweeping back and forth, left and right with your eyes, if you're looking left, you've got to make sure that you're, you're not walking so fast that you haven't had a time to bring that vision back to the right before you keep moving. And, uh, again, if it's, you know, real open terrain, you can walk a little faster. And if it's tight, woodsy cover, then you, can, you need to walk a little slower. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Do you ever do you ever walk a whole property or whole section twice or like come back a week later specifically because of this fact that, you know, you're inevitably probably going to miss some? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, especially if you're really looking for a particular shed, um, you know, sometimes you just flat out miss him and, and you'll find a shed that, you know, we were within you know a few feet of it before and somehow you just missed it. Or, uh, I mean, I've even, you know, people, it sounds ridiculous, but I'm out there looking for sheds. I've stepped on sheds and I've kicked sheds <laughs> and, uh, you'd think you'd see those, but, uh, yeah, I'll definitely come back, especially if there's something I'm really looking for. Um, you know, and like you were saying earlier, sometimes it, it's a good idea to come from a different angle and, and see things from a different perspective too. So, um, or, you know, bring a buddy along and, and maybe they'll see something in a different way that you, you know, something that you missed. All right, so we've talked about shed hunting memories and stories with Furter. You heard from me on the importance of timing when you start and end shedding. We talked about the importance of being efficient, and we heard from Dan and Joe in regards to the best spots to look for them, the best ways to find them, how raking ponds might help you find antlers. That's all we've covered here today in my shed hunting masterclass. I hope this has been helpful, just a little bit of a kickstart for shed hunting season, but I want to leave you with one last thought. Um, I love finding antlers, right? Getting out there and seeing that tine sticking out of the grass, like we talked about earlier, that is a rush, but it's important to go into shed season with the right attitude. And we talk about, we talked about this for years. This applies to hunting too, but if you go into it, just determined to have a good time, to have a good walk with your buddies, to laugh, to enjoy each other's company, to enjoy nature and a beautiful day. If you go into it with those types of expectations, you're going to enjoy shed hunting. But if you head out there saying to yourself, I better find five antlers today, or I better find 15 antlers today, or I better find an antler. And if you don't, you get really disappointed and upset and frustrated and stressed. Well, you're just setting yourself up for failure. You got to just have that positivity and stick with it, but enjoy it for what it is. Some days you'll find some, some days you won't, but you're outside and that's pretty damn cool. So that's all I got to say today on shed hunting. I wish you all luck. The, uh, the good times should be picking up any day now. So enjoy yourselves, be safe out there. I hope you find some antlers and until next time, stay wired to hunt. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.